0: Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. This episode was recorded on February 8th, 2024. Now let's get started with our host today, AVP and Council Head of Advanced Markets, Carly Brooks.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Hancock Talks. February is Insure Your Love Month and hand in hand with that theme, I've heard it said before that estate planning is the final gift of love that we give our families. This theme got me thinking about the why behind both estate and insurance planning. For many, leaving a legacy is more than just a financial inheritance. It's passing on core values and wishes to loved ones. Focusing on this softer side of estate planning can sometimes be the driving force to get clients to take action. Joining me today to dive into these themes, I have a very special guest, estate planning attorney, Nikki Marie Sherwood. Nikki is a partner in Nutter's private client department in Boston, Massachusetts. Her practice focuses on estate and tax planning for high net worth clients, including trust and estate administration, serving as trustee, probate, charitable planning with private foundations, and special needs planning. Nikki is a member of the Professional Advisors Network of the Boston Foundation. She's a member of the Women's Bar and Boston Bar Associations and serves on the board of editors of the Boston Bar Journal. She's a best lawyer in America, one to watch, and has been a Massachusetts super lawyer, rising star every year since 2015. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me, Carly. So Nikki, you've spent your legal career working as an estate planning attorney. Can you talk a little bit about what drew you to this profession?
2: Ever since I was five years old, I wanted to be a lawyer. And I know that this is very common with a lot of lawyers, but I personally learned at a young age that lawyers get to go to school for a really long time, which really appealed to me because I loved school as a little kid. So I made a plan to extend my schooling as long as possible. And in college, I double majored in mathematics and pre-law and initially thought I was going to find a career in tax law. I even had this dream that maybe one day I would be the commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, which, as you know from my bio that you provided, that did not happen. But when I was in law school, in my last year of law school, actually, I took an estate planning class and absolutely loved it. I didn't even know that this existed, but I decided to take it. And I found the tax aspects very interesting, but even more interesting to me was to learn about the details of a person's will and a trust and what they put in there. And of course, in law school, reading the cases from the case books is always the most interesting cases, but it's not always like that in the real the real world, I suppose. But in that class, as part of our final exam, we drafted a mock estate plan And it was so fun to be able to come up with bequests and provisions for this hypothetical client who didn't even exist. And I remember I even included a provision for a pet trust. But after law school, I got my LLM in taxation and my studies further focused on estate planning. So after I graduated, I was fortunate to find an attorney position that involved estate planning matters. And I figured out pretty quickly that it was the right decision and a great fit for me. I just loved meeting with the clients right away. I was loving learning about their families and their estate planning goals. And I I really
1: can't imagine practicing in any other area of the law. I love that background that you share and some similarities, I think, to what drew me to estate planning as well. I can't say that I was as drawn to going to school for that long. However, it comes with the the ground of being an attorney, I suppose. So I do, though, similarly love the idea of just kind of rolling up your sleeves and getting creative with planning. And I think there's no better feeling than helping a family be prepared for their future and give that peace of mind. And I know a lot of our listeners do that in the insurance world. We do that every day, helping with some of those insurance solutions and estate planning insurance planning go really hand in hand to that extent so in our world nikki we often focus so much on the what of planning which is the nuts and bolts of the financial plan it might be the insurance product it could be the trust document i would love to hear more about the why so can you comment a little bit on some of the nuances that you see in terms of dealing with families family dynamics what are some of the driving factors that you find get clients motivated to move forward with their planning
2: I try to remind myself of the why whenever I'm meeting
1: with clients,
2: especially new clients for the first time and clients who might be establishing their core estate plan and have never been exposed to it. But I do try to remind myself of this why and that talking about the cliche death and taxes is probably not what most people spend their days doing or would want to do. But as an estate planning attorney, I have to ask clients about grim situations that they would never want to even think about. So such as, you know, where would you want your assets to pass in the event of a common disaster such that both of you and all of your children and grandchildren and descendants have died. And I I think about this aspect and try to remind myself that even though this is what I do for a living, and these questions are really important to get their estate plan in place, it's not something that people are always prepared to discuss. So with that being said, I do see a lot of recurring nuances with family dynamics that drive clients to get motivated to move forward with estate planning. And one example is that clients who get married, clients when they first purchase real estate or who are expecting their first child, they often wanna get their estate plans in place quickly and efficiently. These types of big life events are what we see as a driving factor and really motivates them. They want to get their estate plan in place before their baby arrives because they have this idea that getting it in place, everything will be in order, which is great. But another example of a driving factor that motivates clients to move forward is if they were directly involved in a family situation that had a trust in estates matter, and whether that be a positive or negative experience, sometimes that does drive them and motivate them to want to get their estate planning affairs in order. Maybe they want to do the same thing for their children to make sure everything is smooth, or maybe they want to try to avoid conflict among their family members after they pass, and they want to do everything that they can to try to make things smooth to avoid
1: a family dispute. That's a great point, though. I think we often focus on tax law changes, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, as I know there's some big tax law changes scheduled to happen in the not so distant future. But when we think about the conversation around planning for high net worth families, refocusing the conversation from what I think of as estate tax planning to legacy planning, I think can be helpful. And so legacy planning can mean lots of things. but you know, as you said, when there's big life events or this idea of wanting to have peace of mind, where if you've been involved in positive or negative experience with the trust and estates process and understanding how to prepare your families, I think some of those things are are great points in driving clients to, move forward with their planning. To that extent, I know trust can be a very helpful tool when it comes to tax planning. Can you comment a little bit on some of the non-tax benefits that you see with trust planning and how those vehicles can help offer flexibility to ensure that clients' goals are carried out?
2: Yes, it is not always only about tax planning, is it? Trust can be very helpful for a lot of other reasons, such as I think about creditor protection is often a primary goal for clients, being able to have some control over distributions, which might be really helpful with spendthrift beneficiaries, Being able to provide some privacy that's often very important to clients. And of course, being able to allow a client to leave a legacy with a purpose, especially being able to leave funds for specific needs or for for a specific purpose with family members. And something that I have found very interesting over the past decade plus is a shift in how clients are leaving inheritances to children. When I first started. Practicing law. At that time, in my opinion, the trend was that clients were leaving assets in trust for children, but they were including outright distributions at certain ages and in certain amounts. So the most common thing I used to see was having outright distributions of one-third of an inheritance at age 25, one-half at age 30, and the balance at age 35. And over time, I think that this has changed. And I more often see clients wanting funds to be retained in trust for the hopes that it will provide some creditor protection. When I talk about creditor protection with clients, I usually say, this could be a way that it could protect a child's inheritance against a future divorcing spouse. And it seems that that is one of the things that's more important to clients these days. They think about these other ways that Putting their estate plan in place and leaving that legacy for their children doesn't always have to only be about the
1: tax planning. That's such an interesting point. I hadn't realized that trend. But now that you say that, it makes perfect sense that why wouldn't you want to create an estate plan that can not only be efficient from a tax planning perspective, but long-term helps you achieve a variety of planning needs and goals. And I think creditor protection is so important to a lot of our clients. We talk a lot about creditor protection in the world of life insurance planning as well, where life insurance receives very favorable creditor protection depending on state law. And so when you have life insurance inside of an islet, oftentimes you'll find that you'll have dual levels of creditor protection, both from the individual creditors of the insured. But then um, after the death benefits been paid out, now you have creditor protection within the trust terms itself. So thinking about creditor protection is great. I also love that you mentioned this idea of legacy with a purpose. And I think a lot of clients are really driven to plan when they are passionate about something. And so you see this sometimes with business owners where they want to have the business startup funds set aside for for children to take over a business or have entrepreneurial mindsets. Uh, We also think about things like educational endowments and creating that opportunity to go to college for their children. Another one that comes up a lot is what I think of as heirloom property. So think about the lake home or the vacation home property that is very meaningful to a family. And I always go back to this client I had years ago that had a beloved family home on Cape Cod, and they funded an irrevocable trust with a life insurance policy actually to keep the ongoing costs of keeping the home in the family long after the first generation passed. And the trust terms themselves were able to help spell out the details to avoid disparities over who. would use the home, how often, who would have to pay for maintenance and taxes. And I just thought that was a brilliant plan because it helped to proactively avoid conflict. It created a funding mechanism to do that. And in theory, allow this home to stay in the family where contrast that to other planning I've seen where those types of properties could create a lot of animosity. Is that something you've had experience with? Or do you have any suggestions around estate planning for these legacy properties?
2: Yes. And that is such a good point. And I I love how your situation involved the irrevocable trust and being funded with the life insurance policy, because unfortunately, something that we see pretty frequently is that clients want to preserve these heirloom properties, but they don't set aside an appropriate amount of funds to actually be able to handle the costs. So this is something very common. Something that I find interesting is, is having that conversation with the clients about the property. And sometimes clients even and share about their experience when they were young, if they inherited it from family members and what it means to them, why it's so special to them and why they want to preserve it for future generations. Because I always ask the question in a sensitive manner saying, I know this property is important to you, but are you sure that it's important to your children? And if you think it is, but you're not sure, should we include a mechanism that allows the child to later be able to sell the property just in case? And talking about these types of things with the client and hearing about their heirloom property. It's it's just wonderful to get to see and get to know the client and that side of their their views with respect to their estate plan. But when we face this type of planning, putting our attorney hat on, we always encourage the client to try to be as detailed as possible with their wishes for the property. So just like you said, of making sure who's paying the maintenance, who's paying the taxes and the upkeep. Because for example, if there are multiple children and grandchildren and generations who are going to be using the property, we want to see if there should be in place any sort of use and occupancy agreement for the property. Who gets it on which weekends? How is that actually used? And spelling out, are there instructions that the trustee has to carry out after the client passes away? And, of course, the other option is, should we leave this open and let the children and future generations decide? And, of course, explaining the pros and cons to both arrangements to the client but also thinking about how the expenses should be paid are they funding the trust again with adequate resources to carry the cost of the property for several generations sometimes i'll see some trusts that you know direct property to a subtrust to hold an heirloom property but aren't actually funded with liquid resources to actually carry the property and some clients say you know they want the property to last for several generations but they want their children to be able to carry the cost of the property themselves if it's important them and if they have the passion to keep the property in the family, they will cover the burden of the financial piece for the property. But another example is to determine whether that provision should be included to allow for the property to be sold. Sometimes clients say, We do not want to include this at all. But, you know, I try to remind them that sometimes sometimes a child might want to be bought out if they're living on the other coast or if they're not using the property as much, it might not be as special or meaningful to them. But then, of course, we have to have this discussion about how would the price be determined? Should that just be determined by a third party? Should that be determined in this agreement in the trust itself? And then, of course, getting down to the nitty gritty of does the decision to sell the property have to be unanimous or can it be by a majority of the children? And what if one child wants to buy out the other children but isn't in a position financially to do so? Should there be any sort of options for that child? So there are so many scenarios that we have seen with respect to heirloom property. It always, of course, depends on the family. And sometimes less planning is more. And sometimes it's best to just spell out every possible scenario so that you can minimize the chances of issue and family
1: litigation in the future. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Experience. And I think it's a great point that you make too, because there are a lot of different options. And so sometimes when I think about getting clients that have these types of properties to move forward with their planning again, just knowing that we can structure plans to accommodate different types of goals that clients might have is really impactful. And then talking about the funding mechanism for that as well is also, I think, really key where Gift exemptions as were high as they are today. Thinking about things like flexible trust funding, you may be able to make, you say, one annual exclusion gift to a trust on going to. By, you know a small life insurance policy to help keep that ongoing funding in place. So there's lots of ways we can structure that. Switching gears a little bit. So we've talked a bit about how the financial component is one piece of the story and that the legacy that we, we leave our families can be many different things, such as informational wealth. It can also be things like core values and ethics. And I find that these other things that we leave behind can be just as, if not more significant than the financial inheritance that's left on. In your practice, how do you address this softer side of estate planning? And how do these things factor into the conversations you're having with your clients about their estate plans?
2: So every client situation is different, but some clients really do put this at their top priority that they do want to make sure they're passing on this informational wealth, the the family dynamics and their traditions, making sure that that's known to the next generation. They might want their family to know their core values and their ethics. Often when clients come to me and they're talking about this, it's usually something that their family is already aware of, but not always. Sometimes clients will put together a family mission statement, which I always think is so interesting and it's just so unique to be able to to read these statements and to hear about where their family came from and what's important to them and traditions that they want to carry on. And sometimes clients will even involve their children in the conversation and even have them invited to an estate planning meeting with me. And we might not dive into the dispositive provisions of their documents, but we'll discuss the overall value. And we see this especially a lot with clients who are interested in charitable giving because If philanthropy is important to the client, they want to discuss ways that they can bring this to the next generation by teaching them how important it is to give to charity and having the client explain to their children which organizations are important and if they support certain causes. And especially if the client establishes a charitable vehicle, such as a donor advised fund or maybe a charitable trust or a private foundation, being able to help the client along the way to make sure that they're their mission statement for these entities actually captures their core values and ethics and are known to children and future generations just so that their legacy can be carried forward.
1: One idea that I think is just brilliant is called a legacy letter or a letter of intent. And this is almost like a love letter to loved ones that tangibly allows the clients to spell out their wishes and values and other desires. Is that something that you've seen work well for clients? And if so, what types of things do you encourage your clients to give guidance on?
2: I absolutely love when clients do legacy letters or letters of intent, and being in my position as their estate planning attorney, it's very meaningful to me that they entrust me to retain these letters and, of course, release them to their loved ones after they're gone. I have had the fortune to be able to do this, and sometimes clients like to put these letters into sealed envelopes so nobody knows what they say until they pass, even I don't know what they say, which I've also gotten to do. But I'd say more often clients share these letters with me and sometimes even request input for me. Um, I think that clients see these letters as a way for them to say their final goodbye. And just like you said, they're sort of like love letters to let their family know how much they meant to them how much they love them, and of course, also maybe passing on information about family traditions. One letter that I saw that I thought was so great was that they passed on a secret family recipe in one of these letters of intent. And I also highly encourage clients to give guidance in a situation where they might not be leaving assets equally to their children, or maybe they reduced a child share or a similar situation, and especially if they have a really good reason for doing doing so. By explaining and conveying this information to the children, it could avoid an unfortunate amount of conflict among the survivors, which is what we often see because if the family is able to read this and possibly in the handwriting from their loved one that this is what they did and why they did it, the family can be more understanding and stick together. And if it's appropriate, depending on the circumstances, for example, if a client made substantial gifts to one child during lifetime and decided to treat those those gifts as an advancement of their inheritance in the estate plan, I often encourage clients to communicate this to the child and to the other children so that there's no surprise about this seemingly unequal treatment upon death because the surprise is usually something that can be very hurtful by feeling like they're not treated equally. And if that person doesn't understand or wasn't expecting it, I think leaving these, these legacy letters and letters of intent
1: can really avoid this unnecessary turmoil and among the surviving family members. That's such great advice. I think when you talk about leaving a legacy letter or a love letter to your loved ones, there's so many things that you can include. And the secret family recipe idea, I love that. It reminds me of my own family where my grandmother and her grandmother passed on this recipe book one generation to the next. But when you talk about things like equal and fair as it relates to inheritance, those two things aren't always the same. And being able to spell that out to create harmony after you're gone, I think can be really meaningful, not only as Something in your client's own words, but also to help resolve potential conflicts. When you see these types of statements or letters, are they generally written letters or do you also sometimes see them as recordings? In my 14 years of practice now, I've
2: only seen one recorded, and I have to say at the time, it was recorded on a VHS tape. But I wonder if that will become the trend soon, especially with how advanced technology is. I would personally love to see more being recorded. I think that would be very special for a family member to see and experience
1: their loved one talking to them one final time. That would be really nice. And something else I love about this idea, too, is that we're talking about it in the context of estate planning and working with the estate planning attorney, which is something that you get entrusted from your clients to to carry out, which is very meaningful. But I also like this, too, because it's not a formal legal document. It's something that as you're thinking about your own planning, we could you could do this for yourself and leave it with any sort of trusted family member, attorney or someone else that you trust. And so it's not a formal one size fits all type thing. It's really what matters to you and your family and whether that's recorded or written, there's so many different paths that you can take with this idea of a a legacy letter. And so it's just a creative way to, I think, get back to sort of the softer side of estate planning and driving really why we do what we do, which is try to have peace of mind and ensure that our wishes are carried forward long after we're gone. So getting back to the brass tacks a little bit, I can't let you leave today without talking about your perspective on the big top. That we've been talking about now for years, which is the looming sunset of the estate tax exemption. As a reminder for our listeners, the exemption is scheduled to sunset on January first of twenty twenty six, from a current thirteen million six hundred ten thousand dollar exemption back to a five million dollar exemption index for inflation. Nikki, from your perspective as an estate planning attorney. What are your thoughts on the exemption? Do you have any recommendations or steps that our listeners who work with high net worth clients should be taking now so that we can try to avoid a rush to plan in 2025? I always tell my clients, I wish I had a
2: crystal ball to predict the future because they're always asking me, is the law going to change? What's going to happen? And of course, I don't know, you know better than the next person, but if I had to guess, I imagine there will be a rush to plan in 2025 just like there was just like we all experienced back in in 2012 but i definitely recommend circulating whether it's a direct blast to a client or a newsletter just to get this on their radar and to ask them to reach out to you reach out to their estate planning attorneys to move forward with this type of planning sooner rather than later and for some attorneys it might even make sense to ask a client to schedule a meeting especially if they're in that appropriate high net worth space and likely to do a advanced planning and directly reaching out might motivate them to move forward and I I think very fondly about those clients who were in that situation doing the rush planning back in 2012 and if they still have some exemption remaining at this point that those are probably the ones to reach out to but Giving the clients this opportunity to really think about the planning right now could benefit them and their family. And if they do want to make this decision right now without that rash decision right at the end of 2025, to be able to use their remaining applicable exclusion amount, while this might not align with their core values and beliefs, but it might. So letting them know all the facts and details so they could do so
1: if they wanted Great. Thank you for your perspective on that. There certainly is a lot to come when we're talking about estate planning in the coming year or so. So it will be exciting time. So Nikki, before we depart, just want to thank you again for your time. Any final thoughts?
2: I just want to say I love this topic. And I think it is rare to think about the softer side of estate plan and thinking about the legacy that clients can leave behind, because often people just think about the estate plan of, you know, getting the documents in place and the, the tax planning. So it's just it's just very meaningful to me to think about it from another angle. So
1: thank you so much. No, thank you. And I think this really does sort of drive home the point that we started today with that insurance planning, life insurance planning and estate planning really are final acts of love that we can leave for our loved ones and help our clients to do so. So Nikki, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And we appreciate you for joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic and access to more information about how to grow your insurance business, visit jhsaleshub.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the show to get new episodes as they become available. Thanks for listening.
0: This information is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a recommendation of any particular product or is providing advice clients should consult with their own independent professionals regarding their own individual circumstances. Trusts should be drafted by an attorney familiar with such matters in order to take into account income and estate tax laws, including the generation skipping tax. Failure to do so could result in adverse tax treatment of trust proceeds. There can be costs associated with drafting a trust. Comments on taxation are based on John Hancock's understanding of current tax law, which is subject to change. This material does not constitute tax, legal, investment, or accounting advice that is not intended for use by the taxpayer for the purposes of avoiding any IRS penalty. Comments on taxation are based on tax law current as of the time we produce the material. All information and materials provided by John Hancock are to support the marketing and sale of our products and services and are not intended to be impartial advice or recommendations. John Hancock and its representatives will receive compensation from such sales or services. Anyone interested in these transactions or topics may want to seek advice based on their Particular circumstances from independent professionals. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. These opinions are subject to change, and there is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Any discussion of features, values, or benefits are not guaranteed and may be subject to change. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company USA, Boston, Mass. 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with independent professionals to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. MLINY 020824105-1